encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi is in the Old Testament. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Just find the New Testament and turn back a page or two and you'll find Malachi. Uh, We've been working through this book. We've been taking a break in the book of Romans uh, during this month of August and uh, working through this brief book of Malachi. Brief as it is, it's loaded with uh, much for us to consider. Uh, We're going to finish today our study of Malachi. We'll be looking at verses 13 down through the end of chapter 4. Here again we find the people of Judah complacent, whining, and blaming God for all the bad that's going on. Let's hear the word of the Lord as we pick up in chapter 3 beginning in verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you show us Christ? Would you change us? Make us more like him? All for your glory, we pray. In his name, amen. Well, have you ever concluded that something is just simply not worth it? Maybe it's a diet. Maybe it's a difficult environment at work, and so you're just going to look for a new job. Maybe it's being a Washington Redskins fan. Go Cowboys. Could be many different things that you just simply find in life that just you're burnt out, you're frustrated. Why, why even try? Why bother continuing on? Even when it comes to pursuing godliness, following after Jesus. Seems that the more you do that, 
the harder it becomes. Why, why, should I, why should I try? Why should I even bother pursuing godliness when everyone else around me that, that's not godly, that, that seems to be caught up with the things of the Lord, they seem happy. It seems like the, the, the people that aren't serving the Lord Jesus, they, they seem to have, have it okay. Financially, well, their kids seem to be in good places. Job seems to be thriving. Maybe you've seen that even as a parent, for those of you who are parents. Maybe you've tried to teach your kids what is right, and day in and day out, you do that and do that, and there they go again, disobedience. Still find your kids disrespectful, ungrateful. You know, when you think about all of these different things, there are many things in life that will test our perseverance. And at times, it is easy to just simply throw up your hands and say, why, why even bother? Why even bother? Seems that no one seems to care or notice or value what I'm trying to do here. Even when it comes to trying to be faithful to the Lord, it, it seems at times that the Lord doesn't even care. Well, that's exactly where we find the people of Judah here in Malachi. The end of the Old Testament. You know, when you come to the end of the Old Testament, you think, well, maybe the Old Testament kind of ends on a positive note. It doesn't. It's kind of depressing, isn't it? When you come to the end of the... The, the Old Testament and the end of Malachi, people are back in the land. They're, they've been in exile. Now they're back. Things are rebuilt. The temple's back. Worship is back. But it's not really back. Still struggling. Sin still seems to win the day. They were surrounded by immorality, and many of them had already caved and were participating as well. And it Again, seemed to many of the people of Judah that, that the unrighteous had it much better off than they did. So why try to keep living faithfully to the covenant? And that's exactly what we've seen through Malachi. That had been their conclusion for a long time now, as we've seen snapshots of their disobedience and their unfaithfulness and their complacency. They've just grown cold toward the Lord. They'd come to resent their status, and now they lived as if it didn't even matter. But Malachi is here, inspired of the Lord, to say, oh, but it does matter. It does matter. He writes to remind them that there would be a day when God's just, justice would be fully unleashed. And how they lived in the present would impact how they too would fare on that day. They needed a reality check. And a strong reminder of what was true. And that's exactly what we find here in this book as we've seen. You know, if we could summarize kind of the big point of Malachi, even as we come to a conclusion of the book today of our time of studying it, I think really one of the key messages that Malachi presents us as the people of God, whether in Malachi's day or in our day and time now, is that as God's people... Regardless of what we experience around us, and in us even, we are called to live expectantly and faithfully as we await the promised day of the Lord. This is what we're called to. We're called to live expectantly and faithfully 
as we await the promised day of the Lord. And all the Lord is doing here is saying, listen, that day's coming. And they're saying, why has it come already? Why has justice not been served already? We're called to faithfulness as we await this day. And Malachi here in these last verses really calls us to three important responses as we live in hope of the promised day of the Lord. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning from this passage. Several responses that we should consider as we are called to live expectantly and faithfully in, the prom- in, in light of the promised day of the Lord. There are things that we're called to here as, a ma- as, a, as, as part of our obedience to the Lord. I think that things that the people in Malachi's day needed to be reminded of and needed to be called to, needed to be exhorted in. And brothers and sisters, we too will often find ourselves in times of frustration, times of wondering, when, the, when, when is God going to deal with this? How much longer do we have to, have to endure all that's going on? Friend, I think that these two will be instructive for us and encouraging to us as we consider what the Lord spoke to the people of this day and Malachi's day and think what we need to hear in our day as well. Three important responses that we are called to as we live in hope in light of the coming day of the Lord. Response number one is we're called to temper our expectations. Temper our expectations. We see in verse 13, we know that the people of God have been called out on multiple things, right? They questioned the love of God. The priests were offering polluted offerings. They were corrupting worship. The people were intermarrying with ungodly people and corrupting those relationships. They were unfaithful in their giving, we saw from last week, and multiple other things going on. They're just, they're just falling apart, it seems, at the, at the seams. They're just... They're just caving. They're, they're complacent. They're lazy at best. wonder if you could even call them the people of God at this point. But many of them, we know, were not satisfied with the status quo. In verse 13, we read, Your words, the Lord says, have been hard against me. But you say, and they were like, well, what do you mean? What have we said? You say, how have we spoken against you? And the Lord says, in verse 14, You have said, it is vain to serve God. Think about that. The Lord is rebuking them here, and He says, This is what you've said. You have come to the conclusion that it is absolutely not worth it when it comes to serving God. It's a, it's a vain thing to do. That's what you've said. You said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. You see, things were not going their way. And they had an attitude problem. The bad thing is that their attitude problem was against God. Yet if we're honest, we know that there are oftentimes we have the same response. In verse 13, they're accused here of speaking harshly against God. Their ultimate conclusion was that it was vain to serve God. It was a waste of their time. It wasn't worth it. You think about that. That's quite a statement. 
I mean, things must have been really bad for them, the people of God, the, the covenant community of God, the people who have been brought out of exile, put back into the promised land, walls rebuilt, homes rebuilt, the temple rebuilt, all that was promised them, fulfilled, and now you know things must be bad. For them to come to the conclusion, back in their own land, that it was not worth it in their mind to serve the Lord. This God stuff, it's a waste of my time. Friends, I think there, there are a few points of instruction here for us as we consider this. Because the truth is that it can be easy. You know, we can kind of stand back and kind of maybe be judgmental a little bit towards these people. Like, wow, how could they have that kind of attitude? Friends, I think we can often find it easy to, to be in a similar place if we're not careful. So there are, I think, a few points of instruction here for us that, that we need to unpack. First of all, when we think about tempering our expectations, we need to pay attention to what it is we're saying. Pay attention to what you're saying. One of the best things that you can do, what I can do, is listen to yourself. It's one of the best things that just slow down and just begin to hear yourself talk. Many in Judah were saying, it is vain to serve God. Yet if we're honest and when we listen to ourselves, we may not say those exact words, but we're basically saying the same thing. Why even try? Why bother? What's the use? It's not worth it. On and on we could go. Especially, you know, when, we, when, we're, trying, when we're striving to be faithful, I think this is when we, we often grow frustrated, is, is that sometimes, not all of the time, but sometimes the more we try to give ourselves to faithfulness, the more we try to give ourselves to obedience, the more we try to give ourselves to the Lord, the harder things seem to be. And we have this warped idea, thanks to the prosperity gospel preachers, that obedience to Christ means an ocean of blessing, always. Well, there's great blessing in following the Lord Jesus, we know. That doesn't mean things will always be easy, and things will always go as we expect. We need to pay attention to some of the things that we're saying. Sometimes we need to simply stop and listen to ourselves. And when you do, you're going to learn a lot about yourself. You see, the people of Judah had come to see their responsibility to the Lord as merely a sense of duty and obligation instead of seeing their relationship to the Lord as one of joy and delight. Friends, when we find ourselves questioning our own obedience to the Lord, we need to look deeper. Not only do we need to pay attention to what we're saying, we need to pay attention, number two, to what we desire. Notice verse 13. They not only say, why, they, they not only say it's vain to serve God, they explain why. Verse 14, he says, You have said it is vain to serve God. Notice now, the reason they give. What is the profit? What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Here's the real issue at play. What am I going to get out of it? What's in it for me? 
That was really the heart of the matter here, wasn't it? They, they were frustrated because in their obedience to the Lord, they were expecting some kind of payback. They had this entitlement mentality where I'm going to serve the Lord and He's going to kind of do things for me and, and kind of maybe answer as I expect, as if God owed them something, something for simply being His covenant people back in the land. You see, they had even gone through the motions of appearing to have grief over their sins. Notice, notice they say there in verse 14, what's the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord? They were going through all of this outward ritual thinking that if they'll just do these things, then God somehow will bless them. Now, I, I hear people talk about this oftentimes. I was talking to someone not too long ago and they attend a, like a local Catholic church and they were talking about how they just go in and they're bored. And, they, and the, one, the person was saying, they've even changed things I'm supposed to say, and I don't even know what I'm supposed to say anymore. Like, that's really what you're, just this outward sense of, if I just do these things, then maybe God will somehow bless me? Because that's not how the gospel works. Here's the hard truth they were learning, and sometimes we, know, we need to learn as well. Not only does God know about our obedience, He knows the motives behind our obedience. He examines our heart. You see, they weren't being blessed. They go back in the text there in verse 9 of chapter 3, they were they were under a curse. And they were experiencing this curse because of their own lack of worship true worship and their own lack of faithfulness to the Lord. And see, they were, they were under this curse. They weren't being blessed because God knew they were only interested in outward obedience so long as it benefited them. He knew what was compelling them. He knew what was driving them. And it was this sense of, what is in it for me? It's an important lesson, I think, for us all to learn here, and it's this. When it comes to many things in life, and especially our devotion to God, why you do something is often more important than what you do. Why you do something is often more important than what it is you do. What you do matters, for sure. But why? Why you do it? Are you driven by selfish ambition? Are you driven by some kind of entitlement mentality, under, thinking that there has to be a payoff for me? Yes, I'll, I'll go and do this, but I expect the Lord to kind of pat me on the back. Maybe give me a little compensation, not necessarily financially, but some kind of benefit for doing this for Him, as if we're doing some favor for God. Friends, what, one of the things that we will often find is that when we are driven, when we are motivated by selfish ambition, when we are driven and compelled to do something in the name of the Lord because of how it may or may not benefit us, we will often find in times like that that serving God seems like it's in vain because we, we've totally missed the point. When we're seeking to serve the Lord out of what, how it will benefit us, instead of seeking to serve the Lord because He's glorious, because He's worthy, because He's amazing, because He's worth it, then we're in a bad spot, aren't we? 
Look at verses 14 and 15 again. They basically said there's no value in obedience because, look, one, I'm not profiting from it. And look around me. The evildoer, the unrighteous, they're flourishing. They have good, nice homes. They have good jobs. Families don't seem a wreck. They, they seem to be doing quite well. And, and here I am as one of your own, Lord, and things aren't so well. We're under a curse. So why even try? We're just going to be like the evildoer because they're actually getting blessing. See, this is a prosperity mindset, and it's, it's a failure to understand the truth of who God is and what he's called us to be. Friends, the Christian faith was never something that promised healthy, wealthy, earthly prosperity. It's not just the non-Christians that struggle in this world. They're Christians struggle. We're, 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 we were never promised exemption from trials and suffering. If anything, the pattern of the Bible sets up for us the expectation of their suffering than glory. Remember as Paul wrote that the, present, the sufferings of this present time are not worth compared to the glory that is to be revealed? And any, any trial or any pressure or any sense of suffering in this world will oftentimes provide an opportunity, not necessarily automatically, but it will provide the capacity, the opportunity for you to question the justice and the righteousness of God and begin to grow bitter and angry and frustrated. Friends, when we expect certain outcomes and they don't happen, we need to be quick to consider our motives and when we grow especially critical of God and complain about our circumstances, this is where it often shows up in our gripes, in our little subtle complaints, in our whining. It says a lot about who we are. Earlier I said we need to, to listen to what we're saying. It, 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 what you say expresses a lot about what you believe. Because the things that you believe, the things that you think and, and, and believe and hold in your heart is, is, is going to be manifested in how you live and what you say and how, how you live out your life. And so when we're complaining, maybe we're complaining about, I've got to go to work with this person again. Or maybe we're complaining about where we live or, or the family we're having to deal with in this particular moment. Or on and on we go. What we're actually demonstrating is a weak faith that basically says, God, your ways are not good enough. Your ways aren't good enough. You're not doing like you ought to do, Lord. And who are we to question God? Who are we? Friends, God has his reasons as to why he does what he does. At this particular moment in Malachi, the day in which Judah lived, people of God, God had his reasons as to why he was restraining the fullness of his justice, for which, by the way, every single one of us ought to be grateful for. He had his reasons why he was restraining the fullness of his justice and allowing the, the people of God, and even in our day and time we could say, allowing the, the people to experience brokenness. Yet none of those reasons give us permission to shake our fist in God's face and say, how dare you not cater to my expectations, God? How dare you not do what I demand and what I expect? Brothers and sisters, I would just ask you to consider this morning, 
maybe something to help you think through this when we think about our expectations. We get to the motives of why it is we do what we do. Let me ask you, why do you do what you do for the Lord? Why are you here right now? Are you here because you think, well, I've come to church today and maybe the Lord will help me have a better week? That's a bad reason. <laughs> We're glad you're here, though. Maybe just correct your motive of being here. Maybe, maybe say, okay, I'm going to stay here now. Maybe I want to change the reason why. And so we don't come gather here because we somehow think that our attendance at a worship service is going to now equate in me having a good week. Why do you do what you do for the Lord? Is it because you think that God owes you something, or is it simply because God is worthy? Are you frustrated with life? Are you frustrated with God? Are you sick and tired of nothing but the road bumps? It might be a time to look at your motives and check, maybe check the why behind the what. It often helps put things in right perspective. It'll temper our expectations because then our expectations will be biblically informed expectations. And we will find that it's easier when we are living with the proper expectations and the proper expectations and the, and, and, and the things that we experience in life, then we will understand maybe a little bit more of what it means to be patient with God. If you're simply striving to be faithful because you think God owes you something, then listen, you will constantly be frustrated constantly. Now, while there were many in Judah bemoaning their present situation, and that's really been the, the, the most of what we've talked about through Malachi so far, it just seems like that most of God's people were just not acting like God's people. However, there were some in this day that were faithful, which leads me to the second point. Not only were we to temper our expectations, we are called to persevere in faithfulness. There were Many ungodly, many selfishly motivated people in Judah, many complacent. But listen, there were some that had remained faithfully loyal to God. Look at verse, four, or verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Ah, there's actually some people there that still had a fear of God. There, there was actually people in this day and time when all that was going on, the, experiencing the same kinds of things, they actually feared the Lord. There was a faithful remnant, and they spoke with one another. Look, they even had their own Facebook page. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before them, and those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Now, whether or not there was a literal book that was written with their actual names in it, could have been, or maybe this is just kind of a, um, a way of describing, metaphorically, of God knowing who they were. Point being was that the Lord had not forgotten his faithful. Several points to consider here about this call to persevere in faithfulness. Number one, we need to remember that the Lord always sees and hears. The Lord always sees. Look at verse 16. Then those who fear the Lord, the Lord paid attention and heard them. This is, this is an encouragement to us. The Lord knows everything instantly and completely, and he never forgets anything. Now, that can be a sobering kind of thing and an encouraging kind of thing. 
sobering in that that tweet or snap or post, it may be forgotten in a few days, but the Lord will never forget it. Ever. He knows it, he sees it, and you will be held accountable for it. But that ought to be encouraging as well because the Lord, when we're striving to be faithful against all the adversity in our lives, against all of the suffering, against illness, against sickness, against, against sin, against the frustrating coworker, when we're trying to be faithful, the Lord sees you and he knows you and he remembers what it is you're doing. You see, the Lord knew that there were some in Judah who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They were still people that regarded him. They gave the Lord his proper due. They honored him for who he was. They remained faithful, and the Lord saw it. Friend, that ought to be something we find encouraging when we think about the Lord knowing, knowing every single thing that we're going through. He knows, listen, not only does he knows what you're going through, know what you're going through, he knows the motives that, that compels you in that moment, and he knows exactly where you are and what you're doing and why you're doing it, even if no one else sees you. And that ought to be a motivating factor in our faithfulness. Because you're, if you're, if you're, you're kind of pulling back on your faithfulness because no, nobody really seems to care, if anything, what we're being told here is regardless of who earthly seems to care, God cares. God sees and he hears and he knows and he cares deeply. Another important observation here is that not only did God see his faithful, listen, the faithful were not living in isolation. Look, in verse 16, then those who feared the Lord, guess what they did? They spoke with one another. They got together to encourage each other. They believed the same things, and they knew that they needed mutual encouragement and edification as they strived to be faithful against all the things that they were encountering. This is a great, just a little quick little snapshot of, of the importance of, of a faithful Christian or godly community. Why you need others in your life. Why you need to be encouraged. They got together and they shared their common devotion. Their conversation was not marked by whining and grumbling, but rather was characterized by a proper fear of the Lord. Just, you know, one of the things I thought about when, when I read that, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The implied here is that the Lord heard the things that they were speaking and that those things that they were speaking were mutually edifying and encouraging about the Lord. Friends, I just wonder what marks our conversations when we get together. What's marking our conversations when we, when we get together? And, and that's assuming we're getting together. That we're sharing life together. That we're investing well in each other's lives. And when we do, what does that conversation look like? The Lord sees it. He knows it. Sometimes Christians can be quite a discouraging bunch of people to be around. Grumbling, complaining, whining, always debating, and 
on and on we can go. And, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's Christians that are <laughs> the most frustrating to be around, and I pray that that's not the case. The Lord saw, and he saw these folks getting together and paid attention and heard them, so much so that the book of remembrance was written. The Lord remembered them because they feared and esteemed his name. Not only does he listen, but the Lord, number two, rewards, verse 17. Notice what he says about them. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Malachi here returns to this theme about the coming day of the Lord when the full justice of God will be poured out and realized. And he says about the faithful, on that day, on that day they shall be mine. They are my treasured possession. Oh friends, that, 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 is, that is good news. This is what he says about the faithful. They shall be mine as a treasured possession and I will spare them. On that great and awful day when Christ returns, the faithful will be spared because they are the treasured possession of God. Brothers and sisters, this is just how great the love of God is for you. He gave his only son for you so that you would be his treasured possession. We sung about this morning how deep the Father's love. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Friend, if you are in Christ, you are a treasured possession of a holy God. That's who you are. The world will try to tell you you're everything else, but you are a valued, treasured possession of God and he he will keep you firm to the end. He will spare you on that day. This is good. This is good news. If you belong to Christ, this is who you are. Friends, if you're here today and, and maybe you're not a Christian, you hear this and you're like, well, I'm not a believer. What does that make me? We're going to hear a little bit more about what that looks like. But friend, the good news that we hear about, not only in the Old Testament, but even in the New especially, is that God did not desire for this world to ultimately fall and be condemned, but he rather loved this world so much that he knew of its rebellion against him from early on in the garden. He knew that we all turned our backs against him and deserved his full judgment against, against sin. He, he knows that. And yet, despite what we deserve, God so loved us, he sends his only son into the world, and Jesus lives a life of perfection. He obeys God fully. He wasn't like the people in Malachi's day. He obeyed God out of a right and pure motive and faithful to the end until he died on the cross. And as he died on the cross, he bore the full weight and punishment for sin so that sin, sinners like you could be fully pardoned and forgiven. That if you would just simply call out upon his name in faith and trust in him, Trust in what he has done and nothing else. If you will just trust in what Jesus has done, your sins will be fully forgiven, your life will be fully pardoned, and you, friend, will become a treasured possession of God. That is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Friend, have you looked to him and trusted in him, and have you become a treasured possession of the king? That, is, that hope is available for you to take. 
to cling to even now. And the Lord rewards. But notice number three, the Lord also divides in verse 18. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not. You see, Malachi has been addressing two groups of people here, the righteous and the unrighteous. And he looks to the day of the Lord and says, once more you shall see this distinction. He implies that there's already a present distinction, doesn't he? Once more. He says, once more you shall see a distinction. There will be a distinction on this day when the Lord comes in the fullness of his justice. On that day, there will be a grand revealing. You know, it seems that, that, that we're kind of into revealing parties today, right? Especially if you're having a baby and have these revealing parties and all this kind of thing. Well, listen, there's a revealing party that's coming like unlike any other. There's coming a day when the Lord will return, and on that day, it will be crystal clear to everyone who belong to him and those who do not. Indeed, the Lord was making a distinction here in Judah even now as he pointed out those who remained faithful and those who weren't. You see, the skeptics had claimed there's really no difference. There's really no difference in who the faithful are and who the unfaithful are because it seems that the unfaithful are just, they have it better off than we do. So we're not going to have a distinction. We're just going to kind of blend in with everybody else because why even bother? It seems that the Lord's blessing them, so we're just going to join their ranks. And the Lord is quick to remind us here, no, there is a clear distinction of those who belong to the Lord and those who do not belong to the Lord. That will be made crystal clear on Judgment Day. Friend, that's, that's the truth now. There are those who belong to the Lord, there are those who serve Him, and there are those who do not. There's not a third category. You're either one of those who belong or you're, you're not. The Lord says there will be this division. So we're called here to, to temper our expectations. We're called here as the example that we're given of the faithful remnant here in, in Israel. We, we are called to persevere in faithfulness. There, was, there were those that were persevering and the Lord saw them and the Lord will reward them. But then number three, and quickly, we're called here to anticipate God's coming justice. Check our expectations, persevere in faithfulness, and anticipate God's coming justice. You see that in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. Malachi again looks to the great day of the Lord. He says in verse 1, For behold, the day is coming. It's coming. And then he describes what that day will be like. A couple of things that will happen we see here. Number one, the wicked will be condemned. Verse 1, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. As we're told here that that day is coming, burning like an oven. They will be consumed, set on fire, ablaze, set ablaze, we're told. Fire is often language used in the Bible, Old and New Testament alike, to illustrate, describe, to, to, to illustrate coming judgments. Most of the time when you look at fire in the Bible or some reference of fire, it's, it's in reference to judgment. It's a picture of judgment. So here we see Malachi using this metaphoric language that, that says the wicked will meet the full justice of God and they will be no more as they are now. 
We see this as well in the New Testament. We see it in Matthew chapter 3 in verses 10 and 12 where the, they pick up on these same language and talk about the unquenchable fire, endless fire, endless judgment. And the wicked will meet their maker one day. When you look around at all that's going on in the world and you're overwhelmed and overcome by all the violence and all the wickedness that seems to be prospering today, know that there's a day when that will be no more and all of those, they will meet their maker and they will be held accountable. The second truth about that day is that the righteous will be delivered. Those who are loyal to the Lord will see the fullness and beauty of God's righteousness. Look at verse 2. But for you who fear my name, there's the distinction. The ungodly I'm going to condemn, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. My people will be safe. They will be spared, as we're told earlier. Evil may seem as if it has the upper hand today, but there's coming a day when it will be no more. And the arrival of King Jesus will change all that. He's coming, and his coming here is described like that of a sunrise penetrating the darkness, and the entire world will come under the influence of this light. Look at verse 2. On that day, the righteous will celebrate with great joy. Compares them to a pinned-up calf that has been kind of in a stall over the winter and in the springtime released from the confines of that stall and that calf goes skipping and running about because it's free. It's like my dog when it breaks loose out of the house. He's free. He's happy. He's running and I'm angry. That's how we'll be like as God's people. We'll be leaping with joy. We'll be celebrating. It's a picture of joy. We're going to share in this victorious conquest when Christ returns. You see that language there in verse 3. Shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. This is good news. It's good news if you are part of this faithful remnant. And you can be. You know, Malachi... And thus the Old Testament ends with these final three verses in verses 4, 5, and 6. Maybe not quite the way you'd expect the Old Testament to end. We have here a reference to both Moses and Elijah. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Oreb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord Turn the fathers' hearts to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The end of the Old Testament. Here we have a reference to both Moses and Elijah, and this is not accidental. They're not just random people that Malachi plucked out of the Bible. Remember the law of Moses, a representation here of a call of covenant faithfulness. And he says, I will send you Elijah, the prophet. Well, who is Elijah? Is Elijah really going to come back again? Well, you get to the New Testament and you see the promise made to the father, to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and then Jesus picks up later in Matthew chapter 11. And it's clear in the New Testament that the reference here to Elijah the prophet is a reference to John the Baptist when he comes to prepare the way for the Lord. Both are seen there and both are seen in the transfiguration when, when Jesus is there being glorified before disciples 
And again, it's there that Jesus clarifies for us the prophets. That they were meant, as they looked to the coming of Elijah, John the Baptist. Simply put, the ministry of John the Baptist would prepare the way for the arrival of the Messiah, and it brought about a unified obedience from those who responded to the message that he preached. It's a message that sounded a warning and brought opportunity for repentance. And in many ways, that same message is what we preach today. We, we present a warning and provide opportunity for repentance. This picture of the hearts being united between fathers and children is a picture of unity, a picture of people being drawn together and brought together in unity and in harmony. And that's exactly what the gospel does. Really, the question in Malachi is the same question that we see in Luke chapter 18, verse 8. When the Lord comes, will he find faith on the earth? If he does, there will be safety. But if he doesn't, there will be destruction. Which really leaves us with these two exhortations as I close. What do we do with this? Well, first of all, you should repent while there's time. I don't know how much time, but there's time. Repent while there's time. The people in Malachi's day had given up on God, and yet were reminded that that day is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And friend here, if you are not a Christian, we're thrilled you're here. We'd love to, to, to talk with you further. If you're not a Christian, you should see the delay in God's justice as a gift of his grace to you, given so that you can repent and find hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christians, this is a call for us to keep striving to be faithful. Will he find faith? Will he find you faithful? You see, the same grace that guarantees our future promises is the same grace that, in, that informs our present pursuits. Friends, we may live in dark days. And it may be tempting to throw up your hands and say, why even bother? Well, brother and sister, we bother because God bothered. As one pastor put it, we can afford to walk in darkness now because we are assured of eternal light in the future. You know, Martin Luther used to say, you've heard me say this before, he used to say there are two days on his calendar, today and that day. Today and that day. And we live today in view of that day. And we're told that that day is coming. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. And God never goes back on his promises. So are you living today in view of that day? That's exactly what Malachi teaches. Friends, there's, there's, not, there's no time or reason for complacency. We have a king to serve. We have a gospel to preach. We have disciples to make. We have a future to inherit. And we have eternal joy to be known. The great and awesome to the day of the Lord is coming. And on that day, friends, our tears will be dried. Our sorrows will be comforted. Our diseases will be healed. Our broken lives renewed. And we will be leaping like calves, rejoicing in the fullness of our Savior as we inherit an eternity of joy. But in the meantime, we wait and we watch. But we do so with faithfulness. With faithfulness. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this reminder. We thank you for this exhortation that we need to hear. Lord, we realize that there are many times in our lives that we find ourselves complacent. We find ourselves lagging. We find ourselves frustrated and bitter and angry, maybe even angry at you. We find ourselves, Lord, just robbed of joy, just going through the mundane motions of daily life, routine, and and serving you becomes nothing more than just this lifeless routine. Father, I pray that as we hear these warnings in Malachi, God, that our hearts would be confronted and that our lives would be altered and changed. Father, would you speak to us today where we need to hear and where we need to repent and where we need to to change? Would you help us to love you and to delight in you? Because you are worthy, O God. You are worth it. That is why we serve. That is why we persevere. And that is why we worship. We pray this in Christ's name.